UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And as always, a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Now, I've always found Micah 6 verse 8 a both challenging and at the same time inspiring verse. In fact, I think looking back, I've always, since my early 20s, taken it very personally. What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God? It's a verse that I've quoted to myself, I've preached it in church, I've chuntered on about it on the radio, and over the years, I've even dropped it into conversation with a couple of MPs. Did the casting of this particular pearl have any effect? I don't know. But when Micah wrote those words, it was part of a prophecy that was speaking to a very real need for both justice, kindness, and a willingness to surrender ourselves to walk with God. In some ways, a time no different to the time that we live in now. It was a message that rather than sacrifices, God wants a people who will genuinely walk with him. Rather than burnt offerings, he wants a people that will love kindness and compassion and generosity of spirit for those who are in need. And in a world where injustice seems to wield so much power that we will do, stand for and speak for justice. But what does justice mean? What's the difference between justice and vengeance? And when we have been wronged, where does forgiveness sit in doing justice? My guest this week to explore the idea of justice has never seemed reticent to stick his head above the parapet, to speak up for what he believed, even if others took pot shots at him as a result, to be a voice for those treated unjustly or whose hurt warranted the salve of being heard and seeing justice addressed. He is the Right Reverend James Jones KBE and until his retirement in 2013 was the Bishop of Liverpool. And out of his time there came the seeds of Justice for Christ's Sake, the book that he has published with SPCK. Bishop James, welcome to Life Issues. Thank you very much, Paul. Good to be here. As I mentioned, up until 2013, Bishop of Liverpool and... Thinking about the theme of justice, immediately, I don't think you can really think about justice in Liverpool without referencing, especially in recent decades, Hillsborough and the agonisingly long campaign for answers and justice that seemed to become part of the culture of the city, both at the time and now in terms of shaping its attitude towards justice looking forward. You talk about Hillsborough and that campaign in your book. Was your sense and understanding of justice shaped and changed by your time there? Yes, definitely. Although my initial contact was pastoral rather than as an issue of justice, because 
I became Bishop of Liverpool in 1998, and I was then asked by the leaders of the Hillsborough Family Support Group if I would preside at the 10th anniversary service the following year in 1999. And uh, when uh, Trevor Hicks and Jenny Hicks came to see me uh, to explain this invitation, uh, by the way, this service took place uh, at Anfield uh, every year mm. uh, on, on the 15th of April. And uh, when they explained it, they also told me all the issues that were outstanding, all the questions that were still unanswered and unresolved. And I could see from that very first conversation that Hillsborough was, a, was an open wound, and not just in the city, but across the country, because over half uh, of the 97 who died uh, were from other parts of the country. And of course, Liverpool is an international football club and the interest is worldwide. And I could see that there was this uh, open wound and I agreed readily to preside at that service. And uh, from then on, more and more, I became aware of the injustice that was inflicted upon the survivors and, and the bereaved of the 97. And I wrote a second report after the first report of the Hillsborough Independent Panel, uh, when Theresa May as Home Secretary asked me if I would uh, interview the families again and write a report so that their perspective would never be lost and we could change things for the future so that others wouldn't go through the sort of things that the Hillsborough families went through. And we gave uh, the title of that report as the patronising disposition of unaccountable power, which is what the families and survivors have really wrestled with over the last uh, three decades, mm -hmm. as in all innocence, they've asked questions about how their loved ones died and were constantly pushed back and denied justice. And the more I went into it, the more I could see uh, that they were indeed the victims of a grave injustice. But you, of course, were a Church of England vicar. You then were a bishop in other parts of the country before coming to Liverpool. I mean, obviously, you had given some thought over the years to the idea of justice and what that would mean from a biblical and a faith perspective. And I, I wonder if such confronting such blatant injustice and disregard for the the experience and the pain of the the families of victims in Hillsborough i wonder if that changed or or hardened elements of your understanding of where the lines of just behavior should be drawn and, and what it did to me paul was to refresh my reading of the scriptures so that when in the Psalms, for example, uh, we hear, you know, uh, arise God and judge the earth, <laughs> when we hear that truth and justice are in God's hands, and when, for example, Jesus said to the religious leaders of his own day, do not neglect the justice and the love of God, these words began to leap off the page in a way that I'd not seen previously. So my experience of Hillsborough helped me to understand the scriptures more fully. 
Your book is called Justice for Christ's Sake. It's published, as I mentioned, by our friends at SPCK. And and just looking, I mean, when you get into it, you know, it, it obviously unpacks it, but just looking at the way in which you you chart out your thoughts about justice, it does seem to me that your understanding of justice is that it impacts every area of life, including those that are perhaps not always comfortable areas for us to think about. How do you define justice? And what would you say it is about this concept that is so important for you? The first thing I'd like to say is that I was nurtured in a faith that put a right and huge emphasis on the personal relationship with Jesus. And the call to act justly was secondary to that. But what I came to realize is that how can a person be uh, reconciled through the cross of Jesus Christ to the God of justice and mercy and not be caught up in the dynamic of acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. So that personal faith, if you like, uh, broadened out to understand that they were actually two sides of the same coin Mm. and that personal faith and social justice were actually uh, hand in hand. And... uh, And it made me think seriously, what did I mean uh, when I used the word, you know, justice or the phrase act justly? And and I've often asked people for their definition of justice, because many people say, oh, well, we want justice. Well, what does that mean? And uh, through a a theologian, uh, I, I came across a definition of justice from the fourth century by a North African uh, uh, philosopher, uh, apologist called Lactantius. I'd never heard of him, frankly. But when when I was told about him, when I got his book, I could see that his definition of justice really rang true with me and with scripture. And this is his definition. The whole point of justice consists precisely in our providing for others through humanity what we provide for our own family through affection. And that sets a very high bar for acting justly. But it's that high bar that I think we, as the children of God, are called to. And when you look at society, a society that has become perhaps increasingly splintered and increasingly isolated, whether it be in the small family group or whether it be as individuals, as we have withdrawn from one another, what what impact does that have on that sort of concept of this is how we make a just society by extending what we give to local situation through affection to a wider situation through respect for humanity. One of the sad aspects of the current political discourse is that there is very little talk about justice. And I believe that we need to recover the centrality of justice you know, to our uh, political debate. And, and I hope that uh, this book that I've produced uh, might contribute to that debate. After all, 
one of the very first phrases that a child ever learns or expresses um, are these words, uh, that's not fair. You know, if you <laughs> deny them their turn in a game or if you share out a box of Smarties and do it unevenly, uh, the child will come to you and say, listen, that's not fair. Now, where do they get that from? Is that is that how they've been nurtured? Is that nature? But what I believe, and I think scripture supports this, is that part of our humanity is that within each of us, there is not just a spiritual instinct to find God, there is a moral instinct to do what is right. And, and for those of us who follow Christ, we believe that the source of that intuition, that moral intuition, is God himself who's put it into our hearts. And the greatest expression of living out that moral instinct is Jesus himself. You're listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond speaking this week to Bishop James Jones, former Bishop of Liverpool, of course. And we're talking about the subject of justice. Bishop James's book is called Justice for Christ's Sake and explores the idea of justice and what it means to deliver justice, but what it also means to pursue justice. And one of the points that I picked up from your writings, Bishop James, is this idea of having your voice heard, that that we who would pursue justice on behalf of others are being a voice to those who are voiceless and giving an opportunity for people to be heard. Is there a sense in which, and your experience of the discussions around Hillsborough, that actually simply knowing you've been heard adds to people's sense that they are finding justice, truth, and... Uh, an outcome that enables them to move forward. I think that's right. My own experience as a, as a pastor, as well as somebody who has fought for truth and justice on behalf of others, is that listening to somebody and taking them seriously is an important part of the journey. Um, what I'm uh, very aware of is that very early on, in my work as chair of the Hillsborough Independent Panel, uh, family members uh, would say to me, uh, Bishop, this is the first time that we've ever been taken seriously. This is the first time that anybody's really listened to us. And, and it was clear that the very process of listening and taking people's questions seriously was an affirmation in itself. Uh, that, of course, uh, didn't uh, provide any uh, solace or consolation because ultimately what was needed was truth and justice. Uh, but the process of listening uh, is, is therapeutic. And, you know, if we think about uh, the uh, present inquiry into the pandemic, uh, one of the things that I have said to uh, to those who were involved in that inquiry, is that you mustn't underestimate the therapeutic value of the inquiry, mm. because simply listening to people in itself is valuable, worthwhile, and affirming. You still need uh, the answers to their questions, but taking people seriously does have a therapeutic value. You entitled your book, as I said earlier, Justice for Christ's Sake, when we think about justice and God, I wonder if we could start by unpacking that title a little bit. 
as we start to think about God's view of justice. So what was your thinking when you called it that? Because the one person who has walked the face of this earth who could be called a just person is Jesus. And uh, I go back to those words um, from Luke's gospel where Jesus is reported to have challenged the leaders of his own society when he says to them, do not neglect the justice and the love of God. And uh, lots of people talk about the love of God. Uh, not so many talk about the justice and the love of God. And, and there is Jesus uh, holding these two ideas, these two realities together. And, and if we take the words of Jesus seriously and as authoritative in our own lives, then we cannot neglect the justice of God. Because if we do, then we are denying God's call upon our lives. I suppose for some people, there's an inclination to link the justice of God with the judgment of God and the sort of hellfire damnation preaching that is, is sometimes stereotyped around some parts of Christianity. It, it carries that sort of overtone to it, doesn't it? What's your response to when people think the justice of God is all always about condemnation? I say that the justice of God is the expression of God's love not an expression of God's uh, wrath, but an expression of his love. Because, well, look at it this way. Um, if you're a parent or a teacher or a carer and uh, you saw uh, somebody bullying your charge, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm a loving person. I'll not do anything about it. <laughs> You'd say, no, it's because I love that I will stop that person bullying this child. Uh, it, it is love that issues forth in justice and in judgment, love that has to act against things which are, are evil and cruel uh, and abusive. So, yes, that's why I think it's so lovely to hear Jesus saying, don't neglect the justice and the love of God, because these things go together. Uh, and, it, in, and if you think about it even more, um, God is love, and from God proceeds both justice and mercy, and it's justice and mercy that are the opposites of each other. Both justice and mercy flow from love, mm. which is why I was delighted that halfway through writing the book, I realized that the last chapter on justice had to be a chapter on mercy. Mm. Uh, and and it, is, it is mercy that, that liberates us as children of God. We do live in a world that often feels unjust, though, don't we? And for those, especially those outside of faith, if they want to point the finger at Christianity and Christian ideas of God of love and of justice and of mercy, very often they will point to the world and say, but look, Bishop, the good suffer while the wicked prosper. As, you know, where's the justice in that? That's why I wrote a chapter on suffering, because that is where people feel the unfairness of life. When you suffer, I think you often imagine that you must have done something wrong, which is why you're now suffering. Um, 
and then when you think about it and you see other people especially people who may not live such good lives seeming to have such a fantastic time you know you can think well where's the fairness in that mm. and 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 there's no answer to that question in this life only in eternity will i think we begin to understand these things the challenge i suppose in the end is that we all suffer in one way or another mentally physically spiritually emotionally and and we can suffer either with god or without god and what jesus presents to us is a god who himself suffers and understands uh, everything that we are going through and that's why in the chapter on suffering i offer a number of stories both uh, personal and imaginative that help us to understand where god is when we do find ourselves suffering in such an unfair world is part of the problem that when we think about god and we think about justice we envisage his justice in our temporal terms and within the the confines of our current experience rather than the the bigger picture that is not just our entire life but is the whole of history uh, i think that's entirely right and a good perspective with which to view uh, the difficult things that happen in our life um one of the illustrations i use in the book about you know how do we hold together uh, our free will and the sovereignty of god and i ask people to imagine uh, a master painter at work on his canvas but not only is he a brilliant pa painter uh, he's also a lovely grandfather and as he's painting away the children the grandchildren look around him uh, daubing their fingers in the palette of paints and smudging his uh, uh, beautiful creation on the canvas um but so patient a grandfather and so masterly a painter that he incorporates all these smudges mm. uh that are planted onto this canvas he incorporates them all into the vision that he's creating in the paints on the canvas and instead of shooing the children away he embraces them and indeed all their daubings add to the depth and to the texture of of the painting now that's not a perfect analogy but it gives you some um picture of how god might incorporate some of the difficult things that happen to us in this life you're listening to UCB Life Issues. This week's podcast is around the subject of justice. While well, Jesus said, do not neglect the justice and the love of God. So how do we bring justice into the world? How do we stand for God's justice in the world? How do we demonstrate the love of God by being that tool of justice for those who have no voice who are oppressed who are marginalized in society my guest to explore this is the reverend james jones the right reverend james jones bishop of liverpool until he retired in 2013 and his recent book published by spck looks at the idea of justice it's called justice for christ's sake and it would be fair to say bishop james that over the years, you've done a fair bit of pursuing justice and 
might even say fighting for justice. How far should we go? How determined should we be to pursue justice, especially for those who cannot pursue it for themselves? I was invited to do a prize giving uh, not so long ago, and I was really quite nervous about it because although I have children and grandchildren, um, I'm very conscious of not being on the same wavelength as uh, as teenagers, and uh, and and I worried about what I would say. I began by telling this audience of young people with some of their parents there too, uh, that I'm not here uh, tonight to tell you to fulfill your dreams. Um, I'm not here to tell you to be the best person that you can possibly be, the sort of things that you do here at prize givings. Mm. I said, I'm here just uh, with, with, one, with one idea, and it's this, um, that wherever you go and whatever you do in life, be fair. Just be fair. And, and I was amazed. I was taken aback with the applause that came uh, to that, um, to that little rule of life. And you asked me, you know, how far we should go in pursuing justice and doing justice. That's where it begins, that in everything that we do, just be fair in every conversation, be fair in every action, in every decision you have to take in your work or wherever, be fair. And, and if we have that commitment, which is act justly, uh, then other things will follow from it. And whichever situation God leads you into, and whichever group of people God calls you to be with, then lead simply by being fair. That's a pretty big aspiration, though, isn't it? I mean, because when, when you start to think about it, there are so many areas of life where unfairness is the order of the day. I mean, you start looking around the way in which... I, I mean, think of some of the areas that you have got involved with over the years, things like the criminal justice system and prisons and so on. And um, you talk in the book about the way in which we relate to, to other faiths and particularly our attitude towards Islam. You talk about race in the book as well. I mean, all these things are, uh, are areas which we can come into contact with, but it's also easy to pass by on the other side from so how, I suspect, I don't know what you're going to say to this, but <laughs> I, I, how intentional should we be about crossing the road to identify the place of injustice so that we can be, not only be fair, but call on others to be fair? Yeah, great question and not easy. I'll give you one example. Uh, the Muslim community in Liverpool um, wanted to create an Islamic cultural and education center. And they came to me and asked me as their bishop, they said, uh, to be one of the patrons. What should I do as a Christian, as a Christian leader? And, uh, and as I thought and prayed about it, what came clearly through to me is the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. How could I be neighbourly to my Muslim friends uh, in Liverpool? Well, by helping them with their cultural and education centre. Um, and how can I, as a Christian leader, 
help to build a society that is fair to all its diverse members. Well, that led me to act justly and to say yes, and to help in building that cultural centre. But in fairness, Bishop, there are plenty, and you know, you and I have been knocking around the church for a fair while now, there are plenty of situations where Christian leaders, church leaders, would have expected you to have said no, where there would be an expectation for you to distance yourself from another faith in terms of endorsing or appearing to support their campaign to build their representation within a community. There, there are many who would find an excuse not to act fairly in that situation. I understand that. And, and we mustn't compromise our own convictions. Uh, neither must we compromise the convictions of others. But it is better to have conversation and dialogue with our neighbours as friends and not as enemies. And that's the question, and that was the question for me. How do I develop our friendship in that community in Liverpool? And I was quite clear that that was my calling, to fulfil the second great commandment and to love my neighbour as myself. Can we explore Luke 18 for a moment? Because I know it within the context of justice, this is something that you have you have used, it has spoken to you, it has inspired you. The parable, and maybe ask you to, to, to briefly retell it for us, but the parable of the unjust judge and the widow who asks again and again, grant me justice. Well, this is a great example, Paul, of how my own involvement with the Hillsborough struggle for truth and justice refreshed my own reading and understanding of Scripture. Because up until that point, I had thought that the parable in Luke chapter 18, the parable about the widow, uh, was a parable about prayer. Well, it is about prayer. But it's more than that, because the word that keeps being repeated in the parable is the word justice. Grant me justice. Grant me justice. And as you have rightly paraphrased, this woman comes to the judge with her cause for justice. And we're told that the judge or the judicial system <laughs> in that story couldn't care less about either God or the woman or anybody else. But because she would not give up, he in the end yielded to her request for, for justice. And at the 27th anniversary of uh, the Hillsborough disaster, I was asked to uh, give uh, the address. Um, and I told everybody how every day for three months before we produced the Hillsborough Independent Panel Report, um, I read this parable in my daily prayers. And, and I told the, the, the story in the way that you have done. And when I said that here was the widow that had come to the judge, but he couldn't care less, I then added very emphatically, but she would not give up. Mm. 
And with that, the audience in the stadium stood and applauded. And on the way home, I thought, Lord, isn't that wonderful that 20,000 people heard the story you told 2,000 years ago and cheered because it spoke into their real situation. It was relevant to where, well, it was relevant not only to where they were at that moment, but in some ways, you look back at what happened over the Hillsborough Inquiry, you could almost say that Luke 18, that parable, was a template that predicted the way in which inconsiderate state structures would be towards ordinary people. Uh, That parable is filed in my heart under the word Hillsborough. Mm. And if Jesus had told it in that stadium himself, it could not have been more relevant uh, to to where they uh, were and indeed even to this day are. And what does it tell us about our willingness to see, to, again, coming back to that idea of to cross the road, and discover the places of injustice and to be a voice that doesn't neglect the justice as well as the love of God? We all have different callings in life. We all have different gifts. We all have different opportunities. And you can't prescribe for everybody the same path. But you can say to everybody, the path that we should all follow wherever we find ourselves, is the path of justice and mercy. And everybody has to work that out for themselves in in, in prayer and in Bible study. But we should be in no doubt that the calling is, as you said right at the beginning, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And indeed, I don't think you can walk humbly with God if you ignore both justice and mercy. In my introduction, I wondered where forgiveness sits in the pursuit of justice. Because there's an interesting element, and again, you reference this in your writings as well as some of the, the talks you've given around this subject. There is an interesting element about the Lord's Prayer which looks for the the justice, the holiness, the purity, the power, the love of God to come down and be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's an obvious element there. But there's also this bit about forgive us as we forgive others. And Jesus' comment that if you do not forgive, you cannot be forgiven. So in that bringing of God's justice down to the world, where does forgiveness how does forgiveness of those who have wronged us or perhaps sometimes it's even harder for those who have wronged those that we love how does Mm. that fit in we cannot prescribe for other people when and how they should forgive we can only work that out for ourselves. what we have to recognize is that when people are badly hurt, when we are badly hurt, it is right to react with anger. If uh, somebody you love has been badly hurt, 
there is such a thing as righteous anger. And if people have suffered a grave injustice, it's right for them to be angry. And indeed, I don't think that we would have seen uh, social reform uh, in the past mm -hmm. and today if people didn't get angry mm -hmm. because of uh, what was uh, done you know, to them. But I'm very conscious, too, that when we look at Jesus on the cross, he did not say when being crucified, I forgive you. He said, Father, forgive them. And the truth is, well, I speak personally now. Sometimes you can be so hurt and feel so indignant at the injustice that you cannot, with honesty, say, I forgive you in that moment. But you can pray, Father, forgive them. And, and I feel that that example from the cross is full of human understanding. And I remember doing a, a series of uh, broadcasts for, the, for Radio 4 called The Bishop and the Prisoner, in which I met with uh, uh, offenders and people that had been offended, victims. And uh, I interviewed one woman who had been raped and nearly murdered. And she talked about forgiveness. And this phrase has stayed with me ever since when she said, forgiveness is fluid mm. and and she's absolutely right because there are moments when you can feel compassionate and forgiving and then other moments perhaps when the incident is uh, uh becomes very vivid in, in 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 your memory where it's difficult to say i forgive you but we know that we're all on a journey of being forgiven and forgiving. And indeed, the, the Christian faith is a community of the forgiven forgiving. But it's a process. It's fluid. It's not, you know, I forgive and it's all forgotten. It's a journey that we're all on. And it's a journey by people who know the power of being forgiven. And out of that power of being forgiven seek the power to forgive. And when you cross the road into the whole sphere of the Hillsborough Inquiry and the campaign for justice and the campaign for answers and the campaign for an acknowledgement of the levels of hurt that people felt, and indeed the whole city seemed to carry in this, as in a sense of identity. Were there times as you heard the things that you did, when you saw the responses that you did, when you saw the, the unwillingness of some people to give a straight answer, were there times when even for you as a bishop, you felt unable to say, I forgive and had to pray, Father, forgive? For me, my involvement affected me emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, Two-thirds of the way through chairing the Hillsborough Independent Panel, I was diagnosed with um, uh, the need for a triple heart bypass. And I remember when I had my you know, tread test and was told 
how serious it was, the first question I asked the consultant was, will I still be able to do Hillsborough? Mm. I, I felt that caught up in it that I wanted to be able to to finish the task that that that, that I had started. And, and I was glad that through the amazing skill of the surgeon and the nurses, um, I recovered and, and, and was able to, to complete the task, which, of course, I did with a panel of experts who were outstanding in their field. And, uh, and you know, clearly, my emotions, um, uh, they rose and fell uh, throughout that time. Yeah. And, and even to this day, I feel for and with the families and the survivors. And I was affected, have been affected, and will forever be affected by, by being in the company of, of the families and survivors. And I suppose I'm reluctant to talk about it because, because what I experience is nothing compared yeah. with mm. what the families and survivors um, have been through and continue to, to, to live with. But, but you do enter into the trauma of what you're investigating um, and, and it does affect you and, and so it should. And that is part of the sacrifice, I suppose, that we should all be willing to take on to some degree if we are to take Jesus' words to heart when he said, do not neglect the justice and the love of God. There is a That's sacrifice true. element. Well, there is, but I'm more aware of the fulfillment rather than the sacrifice, to be honest. I, I, I shall never forget the day, 12th of September, 2012, when the families gathered in Liverpool's Anglican Cathedral, 250 family members, to hear the report of the Hillsborough Independent Panel. And uh, I chaired that meeting. We had two presentations, um, one from Phil Scrayton, the academic, and one from Bill Kirkup, the medical director who both served on the panel. Uh, Bill was able to tell the families that 41 of the 96, now 97, might have lived had the emergency response been appropriate. Um, I, I remember at the end of the day, um, going to the, the, the chapel that had been set up in the cathedral for the families to, uh, to retreat to during the day, um, and I went there and I said at the end that that I was I thanked the families for their extraordinary forbearance mm. um, for the way they had heard what was bittersweet because it was bitter they had to relive that terrible day but there was a sweetness in that they were now vindicated uh, all the questions that they had asked were now answered and they were vindicated in their cause uh, of seeking truth and justice. And, uh, and I, I, I said I was now going uh, to remember the 96 
um, and to pray uh, that truth and justice would prevail in God's God's world. I think that's the that's the one time in in the years that I spent um, doing the panel uh, that I mentioned God and. And I walked to the end of the cathedral into the chapter house that had been set aside as, as, as the chapel for the day. And I knelt in the bishop's stall. And for the following hour, most of the family members came into mm. that chapel to stand or to kneel or to look at the Book of Remembrance or to look at the candles that, that were lit. And, uh, and, and tears welled up in my eyes as I saw the families do this and and I then had a profound profound sense of gratitude that it was here in the house of God that truth was calling out to justice and and in that moment I can't find the right word but it's something about fulfillment of my own calling to be the Bishop mm. of Liverpool, that here in the house of God, where else should this happen but in the house of God that truth called out to justice? The reality is that the outworking of our faith and our relationship with Jesus is a call to, to love, to be compassionate, to care, to serve, so many different things, to pursue spiritual reality, to grow in grace and faith, to become disciples, all those things, but also to do justice, to strive for justice, to be a voice for the voiceless, to represent those who are marginalized, to be a pursuer of God's heart for truth and justice as well as love in the world. If Jesus said, as he did, that we should not neglect the justice and love of God, that we should bring his kingdom into people's experience in this world, and part of that is seeking justice, then surely it falls to all of us to be a person of justice. What does that mean? Well, as Bishop James said at that prize giving, it means to act fairly, to do in fairness in all the dealings that we have. And perhaps as well, when we see on the other side of the road, if I might mix my parables for a moment, acts of injustice, that rather than pass by, we cross over, we get involved, we carry the burden, we see the fulfilment of God's grace and God's justice in this world. Bishop James's book is a great read that introduces us to these concepts and carries us with an opportunity to see them played out in our lives. It's called Justice for Christ's Sake, published by SPCK. And Bishop James, it has been a pleasure and a privilege today to talk with you about it. Thank you for joining us on Life Issues. Thank you very much, Paul. God bless you and all your listeners too. Thank you. You've been listening to UCB Life Issues. My thanks to my producer this week, Rachel Gillies. Life Issues is, of course, a UCB production. I'm Paul Hammond. Why not join me next week for another one?
Ta-da!